Our second scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. But since you excel in everything, in faith and in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, that you through his poverty might become rich." And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. The word of the Lord. Now, before I officially begin my sermon, I want you to write down three words about what you experience here at 7th Street Christian Church. If you don't have a pen, just think about it, but there should be some. Sorry, choir, I didn't prepare y'all. But think about three words or phrases about what you experience here at 7th Street Christian Church. And in a second column, or somewhere else on the paper, or somewhere else in your mind, I want you to think about three more words or phrases of what you want to experience someday here at 7th Street Christian Church. Maybe we're not there yet, and we have work to do. I want, what are those three words or phrases? Y'all got that? All right, I'm moving on. 
several years ago, I remember hearing a story about a couple who annually renews their wedding vows. And now, the practice of renewing one's wedding vows is, is not new, but it's usually held for really big years, right? Like 10 years, or 20 years, or 50 years. But this couple chooses to renew their vows every year of their anniversary. Because like every couple, while there is deep love, no couple knows what they are getting into on their wedding day. And therefore, no idea what they are promising in the days and years ahead. There is no concept of what in sickness or in health really means. Clouded by naivete and bright-eyed optimism or simple lack of experience, few can possibly see what lies ahead in a marriage and how they will weather both the calm and the storms. So this couple, knowing this, chooses to review and to rewrite and to repeat their vows each year, allowing the words to shepherd them through the milestones of life together, re-anchoring them to the promises that they make to each other, and guiding their way through the upcoming year. This is how stewardship season feels like to me. And particularly this day. It's like we've made it to the vow, vow, vow renewal day. We've made it to the day of Consecration Sunday or Celebration Sunday or Stewardship Sunday, whatever we want to call it where we specifically ask what you can financially give in the year to come. I'll admit that I don't quite like the analogy of equating specifically financial gifts to our Christian commitments to the church. But in a world where money is time and money talks, where we invest our financial resource, where we invest our financial resources says something about our commitments. If we spend our disposable income on boats and bigger houses, on nicer cars, over saving it or sharing it, says something about our commitments. If we spend money without prioritizing paying our bills, says something about our commitments. And this isn't a judgment. How we share our money tells the story of what is important to us. When someone chooses to give to, say, the Susan G. Komen over the ALS Association or the National Parkinson's Foundation, it doesn't mean that the other two organizations aren't good. It may just mean that a person has a personal connection to breast cancer. 
When someone gives, say, to the University of Richmond and not to VCU or Virginia Tech, it may be because they are alums of the university. How we share our money tells the story of what is important and valuable and a priority for us. Now, I was doing some digging, and I am pleased to share that we are one of the most generous countries in the world. In the latest Gallup poll, Americans gave $410 billion in 2017. Now, more than ever, we are pulled in so many different directions when it comes to giving. We give our universities, we give to local nonprofits like maybe Caritas, we give to hurricane relief, we give to our church, hopefully. And this is significant because the price of college education has doubled since 1989 eight times faster than wages. So the amount of, say, disposable income for Generation X and Millennials is much lower. But in a church generosity study, most people give to over three organizations. And as I was sharing earlier with some people, 60 to 88 percent, which is a rather large margin, I thought, of millennials give. And while their capacity is not as much as boomers, the percentage of those that give is significantly higher. All this to say is that Stewardship Sunday is a lot like a vow renewal. Today, as we have been for several weeks, we reevaluate our commitment to the church. It's a spiritual commitment, it's a time and talent commitment, and yes, it is a financial commitment. The Bible actually has a lot to say about stewardship and fundraising. We heard a little bit in what Pam read in Exodus. And what you may not realize is that Moses is in the midst of a kind of capital campaign for the temple. He was asking to bring a lot of crazy stuff. And the campaign is actually so successful that later in the reading, he has to restrain people from giving more. <coughs> may we have this problem. But we can read a lot of other um, biblical uh, texts about financial stewardship in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, in Nehemiah and in Luke. And Paul, Paul has a great deal of comfort in asking for money. In Philippians, in 1 Timothy, and as we heard in Corinthians. And our story today, and what you may not know from just the portion that was read, is that Paul is collecting money 
from a Gentile Christian church in Corinth for a Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem. What we should remember is that the early church was divided between those who believed one had to first become Jew in order to become a follower of Jesus, and those who believed that Gentiles could be welcomed into the way of Christ without first becoming a Jew. So you have Paul asking for money for a community, while poor, who would potentially see these Gentile Christian givers as second-class citizens. But the Corinth church has already pledged their support for this other church, and Paul is there to remind them and encourage them to pay up. He doesn't seem to have any problems in his appeal to do this. As a matter of fact, I would argue he seems to employ some pushy tactics of banter and comparison. But regardless, I think we can learn some things from Paul. He has reminders to this community in Corinth and to us when it comes to sharing our financial resources. The first one is pretty simple, sarcastic banter of point, the way I read it. If Corinth is so good at so many things of faith and in speech and in knowledge and in earnestness and in the love, why not excel in the giving too? It's true. We excel in a lot of things here at 7th Street Christian Church and caring for each other and outreach in sharing our space, why not strive to excel in giving too? May we have the same problems as Moses had. Second, we give to follow in the steps of Jesus, who gave so others could experience richness. Now this particular church or this particular verse seems to be popular among the prosperity gospel mega pastors those who push a teaching that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth Let me just say on the record no No and for three reasons. Faith is not self-generated spiritual force that leads to prosperity. Prayer is not a tool to force God into giving us things. And because we don't give in order to gain material compensation for God. The richness Paul is referring to is the richness of what it feels like to be acknowledged, to be healed, to be fed. The richness of having hope in a world where you have been forgotten. 
The richness is that a powerful God becomes incarnate to walk with us. Christ made others rich by giving out of the nothing he had to give. And this is something to think about, at least for me. When I hold back more than I could, when I hold back an extra dollar for a tip, when I think nothing of spending $5 on a coffee drink, but think twice on what I can give to hurricane relief or flood remediation downstairs or even the poor on the street. So if Christ can give out of his emptiness, surely we can give out of our, out of our fullness. Third, willingness is all that matters. Paul says, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. If you have it, give it. You don't need to compare or be concerned about what others are giving and what you are not. Do not worry about what you gave in years past or how you wish you could give more. There is no coercion here. There is no hazing into the body of Christ. Paul just reminds us that this is a joyful vision of God's abundant love and an invitation into our freedom to be generous. We can take this stewardship advice from Paul and apply it really to any giving opportunity. But today... I'm having to make a case for why the church? Why Christian charity over secular charity? As I mentioned about the division of the Jewish Christian church and the Gentile Christian church, Paul is striving to show that by giving, both communities are strengthened in the reciprocal ministry of Christ. This is a theological act, and one that extends beyond just these two communities, but is a demonstration that through Christ, there is a different way. In giving to the church, we make this same theological statement. We bear testimony to the abundant and overflowing gift that God has given us in Christ, and and to the freedom that we are granted to participate in God's bounty. And a world that creates opposition between the have and the have-nots, and us versus them, and giving to the church, we bear testimony to divine riches received in spiritual poverty, calling the poor to the spiritual orientation appropriately corresponding to their material condition, and the rich, both to their responsibility to and their need to follow the example of the poor. And giving to the church, we proclaim that as the church, as the body of Christ, where there is brokenness in this world, we will cross class, 
and socioeconomic boundaries. We will question the status quo, working to hold people accountable and hold people together in loving community. When we give to the church, we proclaim we want others to experience what we experience here. I want you to think about those first three things that you wrote down. When we give to the church, and when you give to 7th Street Christian Church, we get to continue next week what we did this past week. I was able to do pastoral visits and meet and talk with prospective members. Through, I guess, me, kind of, I was able to help a woman who is experiencing homelessness and get connected with people who can help her. And the experience allowed me to learn about a new ministry that helps people experience homelessness and provide this worship experience. And Jamie, our children and youth uh, director, she is able to provide children an, an, an enjoyable wandering through worship experience. And this week, a hundred new music students started learning a new instrument at Greenspring. And 25 new adult students were learning to read at the Reed Center downstairs in Hanover Hall. And a new ensemble, a brass ensemble, was able to meet and rehearse here. And 40-plus people last night attended an AA meeting. And this week, a lot of time was spent placing the finishing touches on Hanover Hall, yet another aspect of our stewardship. When you give to 7th Street Christian Church, we are able to continue to do those things. When we give to the church, we proclaim the desire, the want, and the will that we will work together to achieve what we desire ourselves and others to experience in the future here at 7th Street Christian Church. What did you write down? What were those three things that you thought about and wrote down that you hope that we get to achieve for others to experience? So today, on this Stewardship Sunday, will you renew your proclamation of faith to Christ and the church? And what are your renewed vows to 7th Street Christian Church? How can and will we shepherd these vows through the milestones of our Christian life together, re-anchoring ourselves to the promises that we make to each other and to God as we work and move toward the beloved community of God in 2020? May our gifts strengthen us, and may we be generous like God is generous. Amen. Thank you.